Welcome to Write Stuff Radio, where we showcase Christian authors worldwide. Each week, join me for a new author and a great new book to add to your library. I'm the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. We're going to be talking to my returning guest co-host and contributor today, Kendi Ward. She is the author of the book Only One Night, which is book two of the Knights and Damage Armor series. And if you remember, we had her on about Christmas time last year because we talked about her third book in that series called Rainstorm. And I thoroughly enjoyed that story that I had to have her back on again to talk about Only One Night, which is connected to Rainstorm by the characters. I'm so excited to explore this novel with you, and we'll talk about it in just a few moments. As always, we want to thank our Patreon supporters for their support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years, and as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to our Patreon.com site slash write stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. My newest release, The Once and Future Queen, is available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. So make sure you go ahead and pick up your copy today. It's my take on Arthurian legend with a Guinevere from Nubia. And I hope you enjoyed reading it just as much as I enjoyed writing it. And so... Without further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest co-host and contributor today, Kendi Ward. Kendi, how are you doing today? I am doing super fantastic, Parker. Thank you so much for having me again on the show. And thank you so much for being with me on the show. You know how much I enjoyed having you. I really enjoyed reading Brainstorm. And now we're back to talk about the second book in that series called Only One Night. And, of course, we got to dig into this. We talked about it a little bit with Rainstorm, but now we are getting deep down and dirty. So I want you to reintroduce yourself to our listeners. All righty. So like you said, my name is Kendi Ward. I'm originally from Nassau, Bahamas, born and raised. Now I live in Miami, Florida. Um, When I'm not writing, I work at a construction company. I'm also a minister at my church. And when I'm not doing those things, I'm telling stories through the written words. And who doesn't like stories? Stories are the universal language. So when we read Rainstorm, we were dealing with a woman who is just hard-headed, but she is strong, fierce, and bold. And we have someone similar to that in Only One Night, which is her friend. And she, her friend is with the other guy's brother, other guy's brother. There's a lot going on here, lots of family dynamics going on here. But before I do that, I do want to revisit the title of this series called Knights in Damaged Armor. And I love that. So just remind us about why you even titled this series in that way. Right. So in fairy tales, everybody's always looking for that knight in shining armor. But a lot of times when we find our Prince Charming, when he comes on the scene, that he's been through stuff. 
you know, and any knight who has been through stuff, their armor is going to be damaged. It's going to be dented. It's going to be dinged. So we shouldn't be looking for perfection. You're not going to find perfection in Prince Charming. He's going to come with some damaged armor. So that's why it's called knight, the knights and damaged armor. So the, the brothers, the three brothers, knight brothers that the books highlight, they all have their issues. And you see them walking and working through their issues with God um, throughout the story, yeah. I like that, too, because it reminds me that every damsel in distress isn't some weakling looking for help. They're actually very strong, but they're overwhelmed by their dragon, if you will. So I love that comparison between the knights in damaged armor and the damsels in distress. They're not weak. Oh, please save me, Prince Charming. No. They're like, are you going to help me or what? You know, they, they kind of have that sort of vibe to them, because you do write women with strong characters. Do you think that has a lot to do with your own background? Yes, it has to do with my own background, my own personality, and of course, the women in my family who are all strong women. And so I believe that, like you said, that, you know, I want the women to be sometimes the one who rescues and saves the day. And so you see that in the relationships, not necessarily, you know, going and running into a burning building and dragging somebody out, but rescuing the knight and damaged armor maybe emotionally, maybe spiritually in some way. So I think that's why it's important to have strong, strong heroines in my stories. It also goes back to your whole point when we talked the last time about how the Lord God said, it's not good for mankind to be alone, not just putting it solely on the male gender of our species, but also on the female, you know, that even though you may rock being alone, because that's what happened in Rainstorm, she rocked being by herself. She wasn't feeling unfulfilled, not having a man, but there is something within us that does want that sense of belonging and companionship. And that's why the Lord said it's not good for a mankind to be alone. But there are some people who are quite, quite happy being by themselves. So there's that too. But in this story, we're focusing on the knights in damaged armor. And we're talking about a gentleman who was with her best friend, Priscilla and Randy. And before I go, I have to dedicate this show to my spiritual mom and dad, Priscilla and Randy. They got a kick out of it when I told them that, hey, did you know in this story you're Bahamians? And they said, we are. I said, yes, you are. They were just so tickled pink by oh that. I have to send them. I have to send them a copy of the book then. Oh, no, you don't have to do it. I'll take care of it because they, um, they live where I am. So, no, you have to take care of it. But, oh, my gosh, they were just tickled pink by the whole thing. So I love that personal connection to Only One Night, which is available at Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. So let's go ahead and dig down into Only One Night. What's going on with Priscilla when we first open this book? So Priscilla is a high school counselor, and she has a student who has been causing some trouble at the school where she works. She works at a private Christian school, and she's been trying to get in contact with this student's parent uh, or parents to have a, a parent counselor meeting with the student, and she's not been able to get in contact with Randy Knight. And so she's pissed off because he, you're absentee father now. You got an issue. And so that is how the story begins with her trying to like just track him down and get him to come in to talk about his daughter's behavior in school. And she's not impressed with him. She's calling, you know, his office and she understands that he's a busy 
um, entrepreneur and he's, you know, at the top of his game. But as far as parenting, as far as she's concerned, he's at the bottom of his game. Well, she will definitely let him know how she feels about that. And for his term, how, what's going on with Randy? What's on his mind while he's getting these calls? Is he getting them? Is he ignoring them? What's going on with him? He, he is getting them, and he feels, he feels like a failure. He's been successful in everything that he's ever done in his life. And the only thing that he's failing at is parenting. And so he doesn't like that feeling of failure. He has, in the past, sent his daughter to boarding school. He sent her to live with his parents because he feels like he doesn't know how to parent this child. So it's just a reminder that, hey, I'm failing at this thing. And he's like pushing it on the side and not wanting to deal with what the real issue is. I think a lot of parents wish they could just push their responsibilities off on someone else. But the Lord has a way of saying, no, no, no. You love that little, that little love bug. And you do. But guess what? Just like I have to deal with you, <laughs> you have to deal with them. Exactly. I love how the Lord uses the family unit to show his love to us in so many unique ways, mom, dad, kids, and it's just showing that cycle of love there. And so when he meets Priscilla, he's probably a little uptight, wouldn't you say? Yes, he's very uptight because he's like, this This lady's not going to tell me what to do with my child. When in actuality, he does need somebody to tell him what to do with his child. So he's very resistant at first. Um, But then he comes to see that, hey, this person really cares about my child, you know, and if she cares about my child, then that makes him start paying attention more to to her because she has a really, she has Eden, Eden is his daughter's a best interest at heart. But of course, of course, he's defensive because you're not going to tell me what to do with my child. Well, do you think that has a lot to do with the fact that he is a successful person and being successful makes it difficult to actually take advice? Would he be what you would consider a type A personality? Oh, yeah, he's definitely a type A alpha alpha male. So he's like, I, I got this, even though he doesn't have it. You know, he's going to fake it. Like, I got it. I don't, I don't need you telling me what to do. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. You know, I'm going to figure it out. So, yeah. Now, there's other intrigue going on with the story as well, and it has a lot to do with his dad in the story. So without giving away too many spoilers, what is happening that is also adding conflict to this dynamic here? So with, with throughout all, of, all three books in the series, the issues that the Nightmen have all stem from their relationship with their father who is a pastor and who kind of fell from grace. I don't really believe you can fall from grace, right? But fell and had a fall, which affected them all in different ways. With Randy, without, like you said, giving away too much, he thought that, you know, he had put him on a pedestal like they all had. And that really drove him away from church and from from God, really. And it's like, I'm not, you know, if if he missed the mark, like I definitely can't measure up to the mark, so I'm just going to forget this God thing altogether. And that's where we find him at the beginning of the story. Let's linger on that for a moment. Do you think people blame God for what people do? Yes. When you put people on a pedestal and you look at them instead of looking at God, because we all fall short. We all are going to fall short. You know, I, I disappoint myself. So we have to keep our eyes not on the person because they're, they're going to fail. They're going to fail you. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to offend you. 
And so to look at to look at God, God never disappoints. He never fails you. He never offends you. But when we look at, you know, people, men and women of God, or who we consider to be men and women of God, and they miss that mark, and then we we say, look, look at that another pastor, another preacher, another this, who is who has failed. And so, you know, this God thing isn't real. I think that is worth talking about because so often the reason why we're so devastated is because we put our sights on them and not on the Lord. And perhaps the Lord is using these various scandalous things happening within our church to make us refocus on him. And are we following him? Are we listening to his voice? Are we listening to pastor or minister so-and-so? So I think that's a valid point. And it's even particular for Randy because that's his dad. And his dad is God, if you think. His dad is God, if you think, because he's in a position of pastor. But when a pastor falls from grace, you can say, okay, that's a God thing. But your dad, that's a completely different thing. So what type of emotions are he, is he dealing with, not just as his dad being a pastor falling from grace, quote unquote, but him being his dad? Right. So just feeling deceived is more than feeling betrayed, you know, if you're past the fall, you might feel that sense of betrayal, but of actually being deceived. Like, I'm living with you. Like, you raised me. Like, is anything that you ever taught me, was it true? Like, did you mean it? So it's just so much that affected him that made him want to say, you know what, I, I, I can't do this anymore. Now with Priscilla, she's dealing with her own pain and dealing with her own objections to Randy. There's a reason why she objects to him. Again, giving away too many spoilers, what's her problem? And what is she emotionally dealing with? So she is emotionally dealing with rejection and really feeling unworthy. But how can I say without giving away too much, Parker? Um, (laughs) um, Having having been conceived um, from an affair that her mom had with a wealthy person, and that person not wanting anything to do with her because she didn't come from wealth. And, and, and plus, as we say in the Bahamas, she was an outside child, outside of the marriage. And just not like, so she lumped all wealthy people into that category of, you know, they're going to disregard me because I'm not like them. Well, that makes sense because you will feel that. And then what else is going on here? But I like how you just kind of threw that cultural thing in there. You said they're outside child. You know, I like that. That is so correct and not mean, unless it could be me, you know. So yeah, that's what I like about your books is because you're bringing that different flair to it. You're bringing that Bahamian culture to the books. That's really unique for me, which is exciting. So well, how much well, of- in, in the Bahamas, that would still, that, that would be the equivalent of saying bastard. If you say that, that man's outside child, you're saying that, that person is a bastard, so it's still it's still the same. Okay, I get you then. But you know what? It's all about the power of the word, isn't it? It mm-hmm. really is all about the power of the word. Because you say that here in the U.S., you're like, oh, okay, but screw you. That be you know. But if you say that, you say, what's you say about my mama? You know, that's the first thing that comes to mind. You want to, yeah. you know, uh, throw fists and everything. So we are in the Bahamas now, and are we in the elite section like we were with the rainstorm? Are we different different part of the Bahamas? Where are we at right now? So you get you get both parts of the Bahamas, and I always like to take people, you know, to all parts of Nassau because it's set in Nassau, which is the capital of the Bahamas. And so you have the tourists, you get some of the tourist part in here, 
when they go on a field trip. Priscilla goes on a field trip. Randy is a chaperone. And so you get to see some of the sunset and sea of the Bahamas. And then, of course, Randy is, is he has some money. And so he lives in, in the, you know, better part of the island. And Priscilla is pretty, you know, in the middle, middle class. And so she lives in the middle. And then one scene I have where Randy and his older brother are driving through the ghetto in the Bahamas because they felt like they lost touch with, you know, what's going on in the island and wanted to reconnect. So I take you through all of that in the book. That's one thing you do a really good job is taking us on that scenic tour. And to be frank, sometimes I I could feel the wind. I could literally feel the, the weather, the water, the beach, the sand, just all that stuff. So it makes you want to go to the Bahamas again. (laughs) I went there uh, years ago for my honeymoon, you know, and we were going to go to Coco Cay and then a big storm came through. So I couldn't go to Coco Cay. So I went to Nassau and we took a picture with, uh, I think the head of the Bahamas Island, like the mayor, prime, was it a prime minister? Really? Oh my. (laughs) Wow. That's a bigger deal than I thought that it was a prime minister. I don't, I don't think it was though, because he was wearing a, naval outfit oh so maybe maybe it was like maybe somebody from the defense force okay but i don't think it was the prime minister i would die if i did not recognize that took a picture with the prime minister i would yeah, die. I, will, I will tell you the quick story and i like to tell stories um so we have a festival every winter it's called john canoe and it's on boxing day which is a holiday which is the day after christmas and it's also on new year's morning and my sister and my brother go, and it's early in the morning, it starts at 2 a.m., and they go to Junkanoo. I don't know where I am, someplace being lost. And so they go to, they go to Junkanoo, and they left early. And so they, they're leaving and trying to avoid the crowds, and so they're, like, taking back streets. They're walking on foot. And they literally run into the prime minister and, like, his bodyguards. And my brother is like, I hope he listens to this. He is like the most bold person I know. Like he will ask anybody for their autograph or picture. And he's like, hey, can I get a picture? Like to the prime minister. And so they got a picture with the prime minister that they met on this back street as they're trying to like leave Junkanoo. I love that. It just lets you know, God made some of us more bold than others. <laughs> okay. Exactly, because I would have been like from the distance, like, hey, look, my brother's like, yo, can we get a picture? I was like, oh my goodness, you're embarrassing, sir. Oh gosh, I love that story. I love that. And so we got this dynamic with Priscilla and Randy, but now we got to think about Eden. Eden's the one who brings these two together. And what are you using? I know we tend to use characters to bring the couple together. But Eden is also showing there's a message here that if we're not careful, we can forget the children who are affected by our decisions. Exactly. You, oh my goodness, you worded that perfectly, that our decisions affect our children. And although we think as decisions that we're making about our relationship or our lives or our careers, they affect our children in a dramatic way. And so I touch on it in the first book, in the series, Oh, Romeo, Romeo, which is where I introduced Eden, where she's getting in a lot of trouble because she was acting out because she's trying to get her dad's attention. And he has immersed himself into work because he wants to ignore everything else that's going on. And that is how it's affected her. And so you, you hit the nail on the head that we have to, you know, as we make life decisions, consider, you know, how is this going to affect 
my child or my children. I think that's important. I had one guest one time tell me about women who choose to stay in abusive relationships. And she said, you're being selfish when you don't consider your children. You are making things difficult for them. You're not even thinking about them. You're only thinking about yourself. And that was very bold for Mm -hmm. her to say, Mm -hmm. but she is a product of that environment to the to a really horrible extent. So I'm really glad you said that. And I want to use that for our listeners too. Mm-hmm. So I want you to go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and mute myself. And I would love for you to read just like a minute excerpt from the story. So this is the first chapter. This is an introduction. This is actually the first time Priscilla sees Randy. She doesn't know who he is. So this is the first time they see each other and have interaction with each other without her knowing that this this is the bum parent that I can't get to call, to call me back. So this is like their first interaction. Priscilla gripped the steering wheel and pulled into the parking lot of Renaissance Lounge. She desperately needed something. In dire need, all she could think about was the $5,000 grand prize. The stage of NASA's newest hotspot for the 30 and older crowd was usually lit with some of the island's most talented musicians. But tonight, instead of the, Baham- the Bahamian band's visage or Bahaman taking the stage, the country's most talented wordsmiths would get on the mic as the lounge hosted the Bahamas' ultimate spoken word showdown. This was Priscilla's fourth appearance in the Bahamas' national spoken word competition, and she hoped it would be her first win. She opened her door to a merciful island breeze, carrying a faint, salty fragrance of the ocean. Her skirt billowed in the night air. The restaurant located in the Palmdale area of the island was sufficiently inland and the ocean breeze was not that common. But tonight, the wind gracefully ruffled the palm trees in front of the building. She inhaled the familiar scent that brought with it images of gently rolling waves lapping against her bare feet as her toes sank into the white sand. She lived where people came to vacation, yet it had been eons since she'd been to the beach. Maybe I'll have some time next weekend, she thought. She exhaled her thanks to God for getting there without incident. Hello, Bubla had not randomly shut off from any of the million things that was wrong with it. She needed a new vehicle, but a single sister with a mortgage and a mission to open a youth center couldn't afford a new car, especially when the import tax on cars was 75%. Child, no, she was riding this car until the wheels literally fell off. Priscilla picked up her pace and hurried to the entrance. Not for the first time, she wondered why the owners chose a location away from downtown. Nassau had millions of tourists that visited the island who, for the most part, spent their money downtown. Maybe they had considered that locals needed a place to unwind that was not targeted towards tourists and money could be made from that market also. The lounge was in the island's bustling business district. The folks that worked in the nearby banks, insurance companies, and doctor's offices were enthused about a quality place to have lunch or hang out after work, making it an immediate success. Open a little over a year, she had frequented Renaissance several times with her girlfriends, although this visit would be much different from any of those times. Inside, the restaurant, the car transported you to a 1920s speakeasy. Decorated in black and white, the space had a huge stage with a band stand. The red curtain behind it set a striking contrast. Old-fashioned mics set in mic stands on the stage. Priscilla smiled as she imagined the likes of Duke Ellington and his orchestra commanding this room, causing feet to tap on the black and white checkered tile floor. Priscilla took a seat in one of the booths. The leather seats were black and so were the tables. She was surprised to see each table decorated with a bouquet of live red roses. 
She watched the band take the stage for a sound check. It was an hour before the lounge opened for the evening. The restaurant closed at 3 o'clock after lunch and opened again at 7 for dinner. She looked around wondering who else would be getting on the mic tonight. She received instructions to be at the venue an hour early for sound check, but didn't see any of the other poets or the event organizers for that matter. That wasn't unusual. People and things in Nassau were never on time. They call it island time. She called it disrespect. The band had been jamming for about 20 minutes when the event people started to trickle in. She recognized the tall, dark-skinned brother with the fro as Will, one of the island's most popular poets. No, not one of. The most prolific and influential poet in the Caribbean. Her stomach took a dive. This guy had won the Commonwealth Poetry Prize five years running, first place in the entire Commonwealth of Great Britain. There were 16 countries in the British Commonwealth, and Wool came first out of the thousands of poets from these 16 nations. As the winner of the Bahamas National Poetry Competition, Will represents Bahamas well at the CPP with his five consecutive wins, but she wanted to win. She wanted his spot, and as they said on the island, she wanted it bad, bad. She recognized a couple of other poets she had seen at some of the spoken word events she had been to. Lord, please help me. I want this. And I know that I can do all things through you because you have empowered me. Priscilla looked up from her quick prayer and Chris Dorsett, one of the producers of the Avery and the AM radio show, waved at her. She wondered what he was doing there. The show was a morning show and it wasn't morning. She was Avery of Avery and the AM and one of her best friends would have given her a heads up that Chris would be there. It was always awkward seeing him after rebuffing his advances. She smiles and waves back. Chris was cool. He was so down-to-earth guy, but she wasn't interested in him romantically. He was very boring. Unfortunately, he had been trying to get with her since the first moment he met her seven years ago. Priscilla noticed he was headed her way, and her eyes started about looking for an escape route. Praise God, he was intercepted by someone who looked like he had just walked off the pages of GQ magazine. He wore brown shoes that looked it shines in a blue suit that has to be custom made. It fits the stranger as if it were made for him alone. The gentleman wore a yellow, blue, and white plaid shirt, paired boldly with a yellow paisley tie. A yellow pocket square folded with precision rested in his left breast pocket, and a little yellow flower adorned his lapel. Priscilla spied cufflinks. Men still wear cufflinks? Mr. GQ made Priscilla feel grossly underdressed in her t-shirt, maxi skirt, and sandals. This brother looked like he ran stuff. Actually, he looked like he ran everything, like he could run the country if it was based on nice suits, cufflinks, and commanding a room. He looked up from his conversation with Chris and their eyes locked. Priscilla felt as if all the air had been sucked out of her. The intense gaze of his piercing eyes took her breath away. Corny, yes, but it was true. Man was handsome, tall, at least six foot three, fit. In that go-to-the-gym-and-workout kind of way, not that acquired from manual labor kind of way, no, this dude didn't look like he was into any kind of manual anything. His skin was the color of hot chocolate, her favorite thing to drink. He was fine, but it wasn't just beauty. Something else she could not yet identify or name caused her heart to race a little faster when their eyes met. When someone tapped her on her shoulder, breaking her connection with the handsome, well-dressed stranger, she felt relieved. The stage manager introduced herself and let Priscilla know that she'd be up for sound check in five minutes. And that is an excerpt from Only One Night by my guest, Kendi Ward, available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. I kind of let the excerpt go a little bit longer because I wanted people to get a taste of your writing as well as how you describe the Bahamas 
which I think is important because so often here in the West, we kind of think of the Bahamas as this backwoods, just touristy place, you know what I mean? But it's not. <laughs> You're like, there's a lot of stuff to go on in the Bahamas. Oh, oh, yes. Yes, there is. Like any place I remember, I went to Dallas, and I found it so strange. I went to Dallas for, actually, I think it was the Romance Slam Jam that I went to a couple of years ago, and I went to Dallas, and you know, I, I have an accent, so people ask me where I'm from, and I would say the Bahamas, and they didn't know where it was. <laughs> what? Like, the Bahamas, you know, like, is it in Africa? What? No. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know where these people in Dallas been, but not, not a lot of places. Obviously. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it, though. So I love just how you give us a taste of Bahamas. Let us know what kind of industry it is. Just, it's a happening place. It's not just some backwoods Caribbean place. You know, because some people tend to think, oh, it's just a bunch of people running around doing, you know, nothing. And it's not like that at all. You know, it's a very vibrant place. And the idea of being able to live there year round like you have and be surrounded by beaches and oceans and, oh, gosh, I can't even begin to imagine what that's like. We had snow. I was going to let you know, a couple of days ago, we had snow, and then we had 80-degree weather, and then it rained. <laughs> it got oh, cold. Goodness. That was in, like, two days, okay? So, we just, Michigan, we just used to it. We're just used to it. So, yeah. But, you know what, Kendi, I've enjoyed having you on my show, as I always do. So, thank you so much for being here with me. In a few moments that we have left, go ahead and encourage our authors out there today. So, yeah, so I'm so glad you gave me an opportunity to, to do that, you know, as a younger, because I'm so young, younger writer, aspiring author, you know, the one thing that I would say, tell myself to just keep writing, you know, just keep writing. There's always somebody that needs to hear your story. And we all have a story to tell. And there is always an audience for everybody's story. And we're not in competition. There's enough readers for every person, every author out there. So just keep writing, be authentic to your voice. And that there is, there's an audience for you. Candy, thank you so much for coming onto the show again. And I cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Thank you so much, Park, and I can't wait to come back. And we were talking today to Kendi Ward. She's the author of the book, Only One Night, which is book two of the Knights in Damage Armor series, available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Make sure you go ahead and pick up your copy today. What I really like that Kendi said, she said that there is an audience for every book out there. So keep pressing on, keep trying, don't quit. And you know what? I can't imagine a better place to end the show at today. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J, and you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day.